Everybody doing okay? Doing all right? You're looking good. We are we're pretty excited about the fall season around here. And one of the things that is a hallmark of our community is on Thanksgiving, we don't have a gathering in this room. Uh, what we do is we take the Friday evening and we take some time together and we call it Thanksgiving Long Table. And since we started as practice in 2019, uh, well, we did this in 2019. It was beautiful. We deck out some long tables and have a big turkey dinner together and just spend the evening together. Obviously, COVID was a thing where we couldn't do that for a couple years ago, a couple, for a couple years, but then kind of relaunched this last year. And so we're excited and want to let you know now that our long table is going to be on Friday, March, Friday, September, Friday, October. <laughs> October. I feel like I gotta pull up my calendar here to know the date. Anybody know the, the first Friday? Thank you. Friday, October the 6th. We're really organized around here. It's good. Um, Friday, October the 6th, 6 to 8 p.m. And this year we're doing it at Casa de Rodriguez. We're doing it at the Rodriguez's house in, um, in Dorchester. And so they got a beautiful little space there that we're going to deck out and have long tables kind of uh, as part of our evening. We're going to have turkey dinner together. We're going to ask you to bring some stuff. There'll be a little area, obviously, for the kids to kind of play, and it's going to be a great time. So last year was wonderful, and we'll have something go out this week that will help everybody in the process kind of sign up, let us know you're coming, and then also let us know kind of what you want to bring to share. The hope and the goal is to smoke some turkeys. Come on, somebody. On site, and uh, it's going to be a great evening together. And if you've participated before, you know it's just a, a beautiful time, just slowing down. And so, what we do is we take time together on that evening and then don't have a gathering here on Sunday. We very much view that as our weekend gathering, so we hope you can come. And then that gives people opportunity to travel because of the long weekend and, and do uh, kind of what you need to do over the, the course of the weekend while giving us a space to connect with each other. So I just really hope you can come. It is a great time where we just get time with each other around the table, and this is a, a big part of who we are. Sound good? So just watch for your inbox, and uh, I know Sonia will be sending something out over the next little while here. Um, Really excited about this fall, and really up into uh, Christmas, we're going to kind of join in on something that I think is going to be really intentional and good for us throughout the fall season and into Advent. The reality is, is that words have power, right? Like language and understanding language is important. Language is powerful. Um, you, some of you have heard me share this illustration, so bear with me. But when I was dating Heather and we were a few months in, we realized that this was going somewhere and that there was probably, it was probably going to be important that I would meet her parents. <laughs> you know those days? Anybody with me? Um, and so she was in school at Lambton College in Sarnia and she said, okay, like, I think I'm comfortable enough to let you meet my parents. Thanks, thanks for the vote of confidence. And so I got in my car, my parents' car actually, let's be honest, and drove down the 402, what's the song? Arms are sweaty, palms are sweaty, weak arms are, whatever. That's what was my moment, driving down the 402 and sweating under my arms knowing that this was a reality. And many of you know Heather. Heather is amazing. She's wonderful, hear me out. She is 
fantastic. She has a number of gifts. One of those gifts is not direction, okay? And so she gives me these directions to her house. And now she's gotten better. She's lived in the city for 15 years. She still asks me things. I'm like, come on, you've been in the city for 15 years, getting better because of her job. But she gave me these directions where I ended up miles away from her house. And this was in the early days of analog texting through my little Nokia phone. You know what I'm talking about? That just did analog text. Trying to sort out where her house is, and about 25 minutes later, I finally get to the door, I get the gumption to get out of my car and walk up to the door, and I walk in the house, and there is her mom, uh, Heather kind of embraces me, gives me a hug as I come in, and there's her mom standing there, and her mom looks at me in the eyes and says, I see she gave you bum steer. Okay. This is, I'm sweating under my arms. This is the, remember, this is the first time I have met my mother-in-law and we are talking about bums. This is how we're starting, right? She said to you, yeah, she said to me, yes, I see she, Heather, has given you bum steer. Now, does anybody in the room know what bum steer is? Any old English people? Of course, yes. What, what, what is it? Bad, dire- wrong directions, right? And so I'm looking in trepidation at this woman and we worked it out, but she's using this old English word that nobody, Heather is like embarrassed. She's like sinking into herself. I see she gave you bum steer, bum steer has a meaning to it. There's language that meant something in a particular time and place that did not mean anything in that moment. Are you with me? Language is important. And the goal of the next, like, I think 12 or 15 weeks over the fall season and over Advent is to actually take words from the New Testament that we kind of just use, Right? We just kind of, we just throw them around as though sometimes we don't understand that there's time and space from that day to today. Great example of this is how language changes, right? We use words that are different. I remember a few years ago there was a song that came out. It was called Reckless Love. And oh my goodness, guys, the Christian evangelical blogosphere just lost their mind, right? Because how could God, how could we talk about God being reckless? But we all know in this room when we sing that song, we're not talking about God being careless. It's like almost like a slang in our type of language that would say he goes beyond everything in his love for us. Language changes, right? We use this word in our home. Sometimes I'll hear the kids say like, that's sick, right? Well, we know we're not talking about illness. It's the connotation of the word means something. I'm not a huge music guy. Um, I'd rather listen to people talk for long hours on end in long-form podcasts. But I am a Ben Rector fan. Any Ben Rector fans? I am on my own. Okay. Um, And I saw this from Ben Rector uh, just on his Instagram a a few weeks ago, and I just thought this encapsulates the moment when we think about language. Just watch this for a second. We're a couple of uh, millennial men. I appreciate you grouping me into that. Making vertical video which is some gen z behavior who among us hasn't figured i'd quiz you on um (laughs) some gen z terms can't wait and ask if you know what they mean (laughs) great the first word is riz it is derived from charisma not sure if you knew that or not but uh i'd like to think that i have the riz oh my gosh edit that out sus uh yeah it's like questionable suspect like this chicken smells sus Snatched. Don't know. I have my feeling is that maybe it is being buff. Uh, 
What is it? It's not my job um, to tell you. Uh, oh, no. Next word. Op. No idea. Bussin. Uh, bussin is, I think it's good. Like, it's cool. This is bussin. Like, this, I hope people think this video is bussin. <laughs> Does it finish? Is it done there? Did it finish? It may have got cut off. You get the point. A um, couple of millennial dudes who I very much resonate with trying to understand Gen Z language because language changes. So what we're going to do, again, we're going to take several New Testament words and over the next bunch of weeks and then into Advent because Advent is a season in time where we have these words, these themes that we look at and just really look, almost reclaiming for everyday life what these terms meant in their original time and what they mean for us today as we kind of live this out. A couple millennia, right, from when they were written. Um, there is a really good book. I want to encourage uh, many of you guys that are readers to actually engage with me over the next uh, several weeks. It's a book by Najee Gupta, great, great academic guy. And he wrote a book, and we'll, we'll send this out um, in Praxis Weekly, links to this to get it, uh, 50 New Testament Words of Life. Uh, a New Testament theology of real life. And what he does is he takes 15 different words, kind of the same concept of what we're doing here, and kind of bringing them, no pun intended, these words to life for the reader to understand, again, what they meant in their original context. And uh, some of his work will actually inform us along uh, the way as part of this series. Sound good? So that'll be available to you if you so desire. Where I want to start and there's tension here this morning because I'm not gonna, we're not going to read a passage of Scripture, right? You can open up your Bible if you want, and we're going to be in a couple different places quickly, but we're not going to read a passage of Scripture and unpack it. What I want to do today is I want to move towards something I think is very, very important for us. And it's more of a concept because what we're going to realize is the Greek words in the New Testament are translated into different English words for us that give us a big idea for this morning, and that big idea is the word worship. What does this mean, right? So we throw the word worship around a lot, and for some of us, it was what we did a few minutes ago, like the 20 minutes of singing together for many people kind of in the evangelical moment, that is worship. For others of us, this morning we came and we feel and understand that kind of what we're doing collectively together this morning is worship. But what does the New Testament mean when it uses words around this concept? This is important. This is actually really, um, and I know I say that a lot. You're like, dude, you say that about everything. I do think that when we correct this and get this right in our minds and our hearts, it sets the church on fire. It, it leads us in a particular way of not just understanding something, but embodying something. There's a scholar, his name's Alan Kreider. He has deeply um, influenced my life and his writings, and he talks about how there's three New Testament words in Greek that kind of help encapsulate the full idea of what worship is. So we throw around the word worship in particular instances. He would say that as we get this translated for us in the New Testament, there's a few different layers to it that are fully embodied. Now I gotta say, I know some of you, the tension is when you hear me or any teacher use Greek words, you're like, oh, this smug guy who just wants to sound smart, right? I know, I can sense it, I can feel it. Am I right? Just nod your head, there's no judgment here. You're like, 
You're just trying to be smart, right? I promise that that is not the posture. The thing we got to kind of come around is there are words in the moment that actually mean something again for us today. And so there's three particular words that I just want to come around to kind of shape our idea of worship. And again, I think this actually will do really good things for us as a community. So when we talk about worship, there's language around worship in the New Testament. One of the words that is used in the Greek New Testament is this word latorgia. Can you say that with me? Latorgia. When this word latorgia is used, basically what it means is it means ministry or service. When we pick up our English translation of the Bible, when we see this Greek word latorgia in all its forms, it usually means ministry or service. One way that we can actually think about it and how we've now translated this into English for us in what we do is something called the work of the people. Anybody know what we call the work of the people? It's on the screen. Liturgy. Laturgia is this kind of frame for us in ministry and service in what we would call the work of the people or liturgy. Um, Paul uses this word in 2 Corinthians 9. He says this. He says this service, that's probably what it says in your English version, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Laturgia, this service, laturgia, is what you perform unto the Lord. In the ancient world, it often had to do with like serving someone or performing voluntary duties to the state or to the wider community. Laturgia, this service or ministry. Um, Acts 13 uses another form of this word, latorgeia, the verb form when it says, while they were worshiping, while the community was worshiping together or ministering, that word latorgeia, the Lord and they were fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. So you see the rhythm in the New Testament of there's a word while they were worshiping, the New Testament community was worshiping, it's this word, a form of this word, laturgia, which literally means that they were ministering or serving or there's this shaping of liturgy amongst the community. Um, Even farther, Paul would use the masculine noun of this word in what he actually calls himself. So he calls himself, we have the word laturgia, he uses the word latorgras as a way to describe himself as he brought a financial gift from the Gentile churches to impoverished Christians in Jerusalem. He called himself a servant or a minister, and guess what he does? He uses this, a form of this word, laturgia. This idea of worship, part of it, is ministry, service, And in the context of what we're doing here, we would say that part of this is the liturgy of the community together is a way in which we worship. That coming together, that ministering and serving one another is actually part of this idea of what the New Testament calls worship. You with me? Make sense? Am I talking over your head? Okay, don't nod your head on that one because I'll just really feel unvalidated and I don't know what I'll do. So, laturgia. Next word is this. Another word, another layer that the New Testament continues to use as we get the concept or idea of worship is this word latria, latria. 
And when this word latria is used, it is used to kind of connotate worship in all of life or sacrifice, right? So if you know the story of the Bible, uh, sacrifice was a big part of what, you know, was part of the worship system and the sacrificial system. And so this word kind of connotates all of life, kind of a sacrificial type of worship. And it was connected to formal religious acts in the first century, especially sacrifice. According to Luke, the writer of a really smart book called Luke, right? I love how they just, just simple names on these gospels. Um, it speaks of Anna, uh, who engaged in this type of worship day and night in the, in the temple as she fasted and prayed. The word that it describes Anna in her own worship was Latria. It was this idea of sacrifice and continual and kind of in the temple doing that work. For the Apostle Paul, Latria came to refer in his frame, he would use this word, uh, not about ceaseless temple worship like we often see in the Old Testament and during the time of Jesus, but for Paul, Latria was worship that permeated all of life. Paul understood this idea of Latria as like everything a follower of Jesus would do. So in Romans 12, this is what he says. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what? A living Latria? Oh, maybe these words do matter, eh? A living Latria, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Paul takes an understanding of the sacrificial system and says, this is your Latria. Worshiping with your entire life on display. Worship that involves total personal sacrifice. This is what this word means. Make sense? So you have liturgia, this the work of the people, of liturgy, ministry, service, however you want to say it. Latria is worship in all of life. You know what's fascinating, by the way, and just to say that this is deeply connected to what we read in Genesis, in the creation account. Many of you know that God gives proto-human uh, a cultural mandate to create. And one of the things that they did is, in, in, in Genesis, they dressed the garden. They dressed it, right? They worked. Part of the vision that we get in the creation account is that proto-human worked. And it's fascinating that to dress it, to dress the garden or to work in the garden, the word there is avad, which is continually used throughout the Old Testament. And in, in it's exchanged that word from Genesis 1 throughout the Old Testament as worship, right? Work, worship. I think Paul is all over this stuff that a latria or a, a vod type of, of worship is in all of life, that our work deeply matters. You know this, we focus on this a lot, that what you do with your life, not just in liturgy, but on display in every day is actually part of our worship. This is what the New Testament meant, this is what the, the writers of the Old Testament were trying to convey in the connection of these words. Make sense? So we have, Laturgia, Latria. And then the third layer of this that we see in the New Testament is this word proskuneo. Proskuneo. Some of you know, like, 
the, the idea of proskinesis is the act of bowing down. And we see this in the New Testament as well to give us an understanding of what worship is. Proskuneo is whole body worship. It is bowing down. Actually, ancient writers uh, would use proskinesis to designate the custom of prostration before persons, reverencing themselves, and actually, a lot of times with, and I know we don't, I know we don't see this in our moment. It's not like anybody's bowing down to Justin Trudeau or Doug Ford and kissing their feet. But in the ancient world, this was very much a thing out of honor for a king. You would uh, enter into proskinesis and you would bow and you would often out of reverence kiss their feet or touch the hem of their garment. And so that's why we get this language uh, in the New Testament. And so all throughout the New Testament, there are glimpses of proskuneo. New Testament writers like Matthew use proskuneo to show effective, whole body, laying the life down type of worship. The magi come in Matthew 2.2. What is it? Proskinesis, proskuneo. They they lay themselves down before the king of the universe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Another point in Matthew, Matthew 4, the Satan asks Jesus to bow down in the wilderness. Guess what word is used there? proskuneo, a calling for Jesus to bow down before him. 1 Corinthians 14, uh, it talks about in which outsiders experiencing the presence of God in the multi-voiced Corinthian community, they saw them bow down, proskuneo, bow down before God and worship him, declaring God is really among us. And so over and over, you get this picture of proskuneo, an actual posture of full body worship being integral to what it means to worship. That actually it conjures something out of our lives in full body movement and worship. And so it's not about a charismatic Baptist type of thing. This is not the point. Push against all that. There's a sense that those who come under the rule and reign of Jesus, it doesn't just move, we're not just brains on sticks, as my favorite philosopher would say. We are fully embodied people, and that does something to our bodies when we worship, that proskuneo is part of it. You out there? You hanging in with me? So what we have here is something that is all-encompassing. Liturgy, We have worship in all of life, of course. Everything that we do, worship in all of life as Jesus followers. And we have the act of full body, proskuneo type of worship and laying our lives down. Kreider would put it like this. I think he puts it really well when he says this. He says, worship that involves words and actions that is emotionally heartfelt, that is the work of the people, that is fully bodied and emotionally expressive, that is radically sacrificial, if we probe the inner meaning of the English word worship, we find that it is surprisingly able to convey the large, all-encompassing meaning of biblical words. It's more than just one layer. True worship, I really believe, are these three things working together. Almost, and I didn't put it together, but if you had a Venn diagram, you would have these three things working, and in the middle, you would have the word 
worship. This is what it is. Now, how are we doing? We okay? Game changer, no? Because I'm gonna give a little critique here on each of these things. Can I, this is, so this is Drew Fest, this is not gospel truth. This is me flexing a little bit of my opinion and it's because I have the Britney Spears mic, okay? So we're just gonna, it's all good. We've done like the, the word work, the, the scripture work. Here's the tension in this room and for a lot of us that follow Jesus. We typically want one of these things. For most of us, we like one of these things. So for some of us, it is like showing up on a Sunday and serving each other and the work of the people right on. You know, it's on like Donkey Kong when we're in this room. This is it. The the hour and 15 minutes of liturgy and this type of service. We love that and we see that as our worship, which is beautiful. For others of us in this room, we are the worship in all of life people. And you just throw Romans 12 down like it's your job. You probably have it tattooed somewhere, right? I am a living sacrifice. This is my worship before God. Others of you in this room, it is like the Bethel and Hillsong songs on repeat, proskuneo every morning, every day. This is what it is. And what I find as I rub shoulders, and I'll, this is a critique of myself a little because I probably... Um, veer more to the middle, to the Latria type of worship, even in my own leadership and what I envision as kind of worship. Probably the first two for me more than anything. But I think we need to acknowledge in this room, we bend for many of us to one of these things more than the other. I also want to critique that these things can be empty on their own when they're on their own, right? So for liturgy, the the challenge that can come from this is we just zone in on an hour and 15 minutes a week and that's it. We use the word worship around the gathering of God's church and we need to gather together, it's beautiful. But the, the zone and the focus is in on that. And when we talk about worship in all of life, it's like, well, worship is on Sunday morning. I've blocked it out amongst every, everything else. NFL football starts at 1 p.m. Anybody with, okay, nobody else is with me. You know, it's just kind of like compartmentalized into, I've got liturgia, but it's like this, this time frame, 10 to 11.50 on Sunday morning. The challenge of Latria and the worship in all of life is the more I rub shoulders with people where this is the posture, any sort of gathering together or any sort of emphasis on actual like corporate worship, and I'll even say full body worship, is almost completely void. And I'll just go out on a limb and say a lot of the people I know, and this sounds judgy, maybe I don't, my, I hope my heart is in the right place, But what I find at times, I know we're in moments of deconstruction and all that, is worship in all of life becomes everything that it becomes nothing. And so there is no proskuneo. It's kind of like, yeah, I'm one of those worship in all of life type of persons or people, and I don't need anybody else or anything else, and it's just kind of on my own. And I've seen kind of like a movement even amongst a lot of people I know where that just doesn't end up really well a lot of the times because it's, it's out there and on our own and it's kind of ethereal. I think there's challenges there when that is it on its own. And then I'll also say the proscuneo space is, we have churches and, and moments and spaces where it is just all about like posturing ourselves before God. We're on our knees, we're singing, we're doing all this stuff. 
But I know sometimes in those moments, people don't actually want to get up off the carpet and live in all of life, right? We get stuck in what worship is, and it's just like singing, and it's like, well, actually, that's a deep part of it, but it goes farther and deeper than that. And there are moments where we need to actually get up off the carpet like every day and go and live as living sacrifices. You see the tension? Do you you see the tension? When we just kind of live in one space, we miss out on what I believe is the totality, the all-encompassing, the full embodied type of worship that we are called into. And I think we just need to put before us that that this type of engagement for us in understanding these three layers is what the scriptures are leading us to and I think what will be best for us as a community. Now, if I do a critique of our own community, I think we've got the first two pretty good in many ways for our own community. There is a sense here of the work of the people and liturgy and ministry and service and gathering together and we don't wanna lose that. This is beautiful, this morning has been beautiful. And we we don't want to lose that. I think because of years of teaching and focusing on the fact that our work, our lives, our families, everything that we are is a living sacrifice before God, I think most of us in this room kind of get that and this is something we're trying to live out and something beautiful. I will say probably the proskuneo side is a space when we talk about the things of the Spirit And this type of full embodied worship is probably something we need to grow in. As we kind of yield our lives, our community before Jesus and his spirit, there are things that come about in the community as we act and respond. That we do, so we do respond in certain ways. So many of you know I'm an avid sports fan, and so one thing we do every year is we take, because I'm, I want to brainwash my kids, I'll just be honest with you, we go to Michigan every year, because I grew up on Michigan football, and I just have myself and my family in that cult. It's a cult, I'm just going to be honest with you. So we went down yesterday. Every smell, sound, chant, band, every, every sense leads us into something. <laughs> And it probably is a worship of this football team, and I will repent of this, the Michigan Wolverines. And, you know, I got thinking yesterday, I've had this teaching and this, you know, these, this word worship on the docket for a long time as we look at what we're going to talk about. Just got thinking, I've been thinking so much about this, and then I look at everything that that moment encompassed in trying to kind of get my attention. And there are little things that absolutely get me out of my seat. There are words and rhythms that I'm leading my kids into. They know the chant songs. They know what to wear. They know how to respond. They know how to dangle over the, the, the ledge, screaming and yelling and trying to get on the camera and touch the player and all, all that stuff. And you're like, this is your life. This is my life, right? And yet, sometimes we can come into a place like this and it is just, sometimes it's just, if we're honest, and I'll talk about myself, it can just kind of be hands in the pocket. And I jump out of my seat for one thing, but not for the king. I'm just convicted this morning for the king of the universe, this type of proskuneo, type of all of life worship. I'm not talking about being fake. Some of us, you're in this community because of experiences you've had that you're healing from. And I would say welcome and join in with me because some of us, that's exactly our story. I get it. I'm not talking about swinging from whatever these things are or being fake or anything, but I do sense that a type of worship leads us towards proskuneo in moments and times. And that's our hope. 
as we've done really well in these first two things, that God would continue to cultivate a deep sense of full body, whatever that is for us, in the right moment and times and places and spaces where we would know King Jesus is in the room and he is to be worshiped. And it should elicit much more than I would ever give to anything else. You with me? This is not saying, hey, it's gotta be like this or do this, that's where we go wrong. It's as much as saying, come Holy Spirit, we're open to this type of worship and response from us. And the beautiful thing, and as I talk about our own community, the beautiful thing as I talk to others is I really see that as genuine. We want this to be in the most genuine spaces. And so brothers and sisters, this is just a call for us. When we use the word worship, what do we mean? This is what we mean. This is what we mean. We mean liturgy together. So when I, I frame my language as I'm going to worship, absolutely. This is what we're doing here this morning. Latria, or sorry, Latrigeo. Latria, all of life. We are these living sacrifices that are poured out. No more sacrificial system. There's no bulls or rams here to kind of cut open this morning. We are the living sacrifices. We are this temple. And proskuneo, this full body of laying ourselves down. This is what it means to worship. And so, in all of our practices, we're trying to embody these things. And we're going to come to the tables and leave space for this. All of this, our lives as living sacrifices, but as well, this full embodied type of worship. This is why we take communion every single week, and we actually get you to move your bodies to the table, because... We're saying we're not just brains on sticks. We are fully embodied. Our senses, our taste buds, everything that we are is part of this act of worship. And so would you stand with me? And the team is going to come. Come on, stand with me. Give them their stuff back here. The table is at the back there, and it's prepackaged, but there's bread and cup there. And we're just going to take some time as the team leads us and sings just to open up our lives to the Spirit and his work. And if you want to join me in coming to the tables and taking communion, you can take it any time during the next several moments as we worship together. And let me pray for us as we come to the table. Father, I thank you for this family. I thank you for your love that was put on display so that we come fully engaging, fully worshiping you with everything that we are. And uh, I just pray for the next couple of moments. I pray that you would seal what you've done here as we've come around these words. And now, God, as we practice, may we lay our lives down, whatever that looks like in this moment for this community, in this time, as we kind of kick off a new year. Help us, I pray. Pour out your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name.